If you're enjoying the Fastest Known Podcast, please let us know by rating and reviewing it in iTunes. If you have a guest suggestion, please send that person to me, Craig, at craig at fastestknowntime.com. And if you have feedback on how we can improve the show or anything to change, please send that to me as well. And finally, each Monday morning, we send out a newsletter with the best FKTs of the week. It's a cool way to keep up with what's going on and learn more about the culture of the sport. Sign up for it at fastestknowntime.com slash newsletter. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Fastest Known Podcast, talking with some of the fastest known people. And today, wow, we are actually talking with the fastest person I know in the mountain trail world. I'm going to make you try to guess this because this is sort of interesting. This person is a runner's runner. Every person who races knows this guy because he's always in front of them. And the list is just absurd. He has won 16, unless I've miscounted, national titles. No one else has ever done that. He holds 13 fastest known times, and he just finished first again in the U.S. Mountain Running Championships. I hope you know who I'm speaking about. Welcome, Joe Gray. Hey, what's going down, Buzz? They might not know because you got the number wrong. <laughs> it's 20. I see. I know. Yeah, I mean, 20 national you, titles. If you blink your eye, it's you, – and by, you know, it's going to be 21 before you can tell. So you – of course, this won the mountain running championship. Did you win the half marathon trail championships in Wisconsin in September? Yep. See, see, 20 national titles. This is absurd. And international titles. How many times have you been the world mountain running champion? Uh, for mountain running, twice. And then for Xterra trail championship, uh, five. And then one snowshoe world title. <laughs> so in our written show notes, we list sports highlights. I've already started to do this. And I said, we, we can't do it. It's like six pages long. And so I'm, I'm mainly linking to some other locations because we cannot list your sports highlights, Joe. Yeah. So yeah, try. here's... You try, but we're going to get in. We're going to get into this because here's something that I've observed, and you tell me your perspective here. You, okay. you mostly don't do ultras. You just the fastest guy around, like I said at the start of the podcast. You've won almost everything. You tend to still win almost everything, and yet it is possible that some people do not know your name because you don't do ultras. Somehow in the United States, ultra became this thing, and people got a lot of uh, notoriety for it. But you just win national and international titles. Some people might not have heard of you. Do you think that's the case? What's your perspective? Um, you know, I, me not running ultras that often. I mean, I do run them, and I have run them, and – I think it really boils down to the the lack of diversity in our sport, really, to be honest with you, uh, you know, being a, a black athlete amongst predominantly white sport, um, you don't get as much media attention and things like that. And whether it's long or short, you know, you look at white athletes, um, a lot of my peers that I came into the sport with that were doing the classic distances, uh, they got a lot of more attention than I did in those early years of my career, even when I was winning. And so a lot of it is just the fact that, uh, media was very focused on um, what it's always been focused on, right? The, the, the white athletes were the ones being advertised, um, getting sponsorships, being on the covers of, of our outdoor world um, in their magazines and things like that. And so um, I was a black sheep, uh, <laughs> quite literally. But um, yeah, there, I think that's part of it. Also, uh, I'm not someone who focuses a ton on um, a lot of different social platforms. It's not somewhere you know, something, an aspect of my life where I spend a lot of time or put a whole bunch of, um, you know, just put a whole bunch of my time and in, into that and energy. Um, I'm more so coming from that, that world where, uh, competing is, is the, at the forefront. And, um, and that's the best way to inspire the next generation that I'm, you know, that I'm trying to inspire. Wow. Good answer, Joe. Two, you provided two very thoughtful answers. Let's go with the first one. This is very notable because if one is watching, you know, an international road marathon or Olympics, anything like that, 
anything on the road and also long distance on the track, there is a very, very high percentage of people of African descent. I mean, it's sort of unmistakable. I can't remember what the uh, what it is right now, but I think as a couple of years ago, of the 15 fastest marathons ever run, you know, 13 were by Kenyans or Ethiopian heritage. So mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just startling. While in trail, not so much. So do you feel that, I mean, I just kind of, again, I don't have any statistic, but just looking around, there's not a lot of black folks out running trail races. So do you feel, so how does that feel to you? Um, you know, earlier in my career, you know, it, it felt weird, right? You look around, no one looks like you. And obviously you, uh, you wonder in your mind, do, do people really support you? Are they happy that you're there? These are just things you wonder because, you know, you're the odd one out in, in essence. And so, yeah, I mean, in those early years, you just didn't feel support. And even, even still today, right. There's, there's times where, um, you know, I've had races where I've heard people say uh, racist things to me at the end of a race or shout racist things in the midst of, of me racing. Um, but as I've gotten older, I realize, right. The, the bigger picture is I'm not there for those people. Uh, they have an agenda and, you know, it's of no concern to me at this point in my career, I have to do what I have to do. Uh, and that is being successful in my career and, um, and going forward with the goals and the pursuits that I have, the things that I dream about, because it's not just about me. I'm trying to inspire, like I said, that next generation. So, you know, if I act out every time somebody says something crazy to me and and I'm not focused on my race or I mess up my race because I'm focused on their agenda, then, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to inspire the next generation and I'm going to look like a jackass. So, um, you know, I got to focus on me, but, uh, on the other part that you said, I think, and, (laughs) The really competitive, classic uh, mountain races, both in Europe, just in globally, and, and and even on the world stage, um, it mostly African descent. Like I'm African descent as well. Our family comes from Africa as well. But uh, if you look at the world championships for mountain running, for example, it's been won by either a Black American or, or an African, um, pretty much every year. <laughs> but you know but still like you said though that's only it's only a few people it's only, it's only like the first three or four people and then um and then after that it's it's uh european athletes so not a whole bunch of color yet right um and we should note that uh, in terms of color that's any person of color so it's, it's primarily caucasian right. and it's asian right. it's not very represented either exactly if 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 it's okay with you let's go back to something you said a minute ago which i have not personally witnessed you said you've had some people call out names some racist comments this you know obviously this goes on this is a part of america this is probably the part of the world um it's part of human culture and yet i would just speaking entirely personal, I would hope this wasn't part of running culture. Somehow I like right. to think that runners, part of the sport is that everyone is nice and supportive. Now, maybe I'm incorrect and I just don't know. And so your comments on this are important to me. I so This is kind of hits me hard. I, I, you see what I mean? I, I want our sport to be like this family where it's super supportive and so when you say you've had some untoward comments, I'm going, ouch, you know, just for you and my sense of this community. Yeah. I mean, it, it catches us all off guard. I, I think, like you said, you don't expect it in our sport because you would think people are focused on performing themselves or just the performances in general of spectating them uh, so that, you know, you wouldn't have hatred. Your your heart wouldn't have an, your mind wouldn't encompass enough uh, space to have hatred or racism in it in that moment. And so, uh, it catches you off guard for sure. Uh, even I think the first time somebody says something racist to me in a race, I almost was kind of confused at first. Like like I like my brain froze. And I was like, wait a minute, did they? It took me a while to process what had just happened because I was like, they didn't just say that, did they? You know, but. Yeah, it's surprising, man. I mean, especially this at my age, you know, I I heard stories. I've talked to, you know, my great grandmother and my grandmother and about what they went through, you know, when they were younger. And 
you would think we are so far away from that. Like that's 50, 60, 70 years ago. Like there's no way we would still be dealing with these kind of things, but here we are. Wow. Well, thanks for filling me in, Joe. And I think I can speak for I, everyone listening to this. Uh, my apologies for any uh, flack you've gotten. I, uh, it's it's just not appropriate at all for anyone, anytime. So right. thank you for letting us know. Wow. Now, ever since I've known you, you've lived in Colorado Springs. And, I think so. Yeah. Now, Colorado Springs is not the most progressive city. I mean, it's a lovely city. It's a beautiful place. But, mm. you know, it's uh, in terms of Colorado, it's sort of on that end of the spectrum. But you're okay in Colorado Springs? It's That's worked out well for you? Yeah. I mean, and honestly, it's been – I always value um, hearing – the other side of the fence, right? Like, I, If I don't like chocolate and you do, I want to know why you like chocolate and, <laughs> and I want to have that conversation or, you know, conversation comes up quite frequently. I'm a Chicago style pizza fan. My mother, my wife, they like New York style and I'm, you know, so it balances it out. I like, you know, I'll try their style and they'll try my style. But um, being here, you know, I came from Washington state, which is a very liberal place, very blue state. I went to college in probably one of the most red states in America and then, uh, you know, went back to, to Washington and I came out, out here and especially in Colorado Springs. So it's kind of cool in in one aspect and is hearing the other side of how people feel about politics, religion, um, just society in general. You know, I find it very intriguing to have these conversations. So it's really cool to hear that Um so, yeah, it's cool. You know, I think it's good to have um, a mix. And I feel like Colorado Springs is uh, there's a big mixture. A lot of, you know, liberal minded, conservative minded people in a you know pretty small city. Excellent. I really very much appreciate your attitude, Joe. The mix is important because we do go to this right or wrong thing very quickly right. now. <laughs> yeah, I've been, around a, I've been around a long time. It didn't used to be like that. But nowadays, right. even if you're a self-proclaimed liberal, you're going to start blaming people pretty quickly. You know, we're all mm -hmm. a little quick on the draw. So I very much appreciate your attitude of, well, I like New York style. I mean, oops, sorry. Chicago <laughs> style. There are people like New York style, right. et cetera, et cetera. And just let's say, hey, we have different opinions. Now, there are some things that we want to draw the line at. Um, such as racism, sexism, et cetera. Right. But other than that, let's just, um, let's, let's hear everyone's opinion. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, it's important. I mean, you don't want to be in an echo chamber, right? Like it, it, it feels good to be around people who think like you, who speak like you all the time. But, you know, me personally, I go against the grain in a lot of, in a lot of senses in life. And so I like to hear, you know, I like a disagreement here and there. I like to know, you know, why I'm wrong. I want you to tell me why I'm wrong and why you're right. And, you know, it's nice to have those conversations and work through that, but you got to be careful who you have those conversations with. Right. Um, I think for really, really heated <laughs> conversations, especially uh, revolving around racism and issues with, with a society and economical economic issues, not a big deal, but definitely when it comes to racism, it's best that you have those conversations with people that you have a vested interest in, you know, people who maybe you have a really good relationship with and there's some love there because honestly, you know, I've seen those conversations go left real quick and, you know, people get heated and shoot, even people when they're in, you know, in talking with family, people that they love and they have a rapport with, uh, it can get heated and things can go left real quick. So, you know, it's important that, you don't just have these strangers that you just see in the streets or at coffee shops, which I've done and they went well nine times out of 10. And, and, and there's that one time where it's like you both are kind of heated at, with each other and, and it's not a great conversation at the end of the day. But um, sometimes it's important to hear things that, that heat you too. you know, like everything isn't going to be peaches and cream in life. Sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes uh, people don't agree with you. And that's just that's how it is. Definitely how it is. That is a democracy. That is a community. I, we, you don't want to live in a country where everyone feels the same way. That's right. That's, that's literally not human nature. So it, the only reason that would ever happen is if there's a 
uh, political regime called fascism. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's what it is. If everyone agrees, because the only way anyone would agree is if they were forced to. So <laughs> I appreciate, yeah, literally, I mean, um, whether it's food or anything else, while at the same time, as I said, we have to live within certain boundaries of the law that we've right. all agreed on for the common good. Well, excellent, Joe. I'm okay with them <laughs> forcing Chicago-style pizza on everybody, though. That works for me. <laughs> Isn't that a little greasier, or is that what your wife says? I, no, they just – they think it's too much. Um, it, and I'll admit, like, you know, when you have a New York-style pizza, it is – it's cleaner. Um, it's not as much. You know, it's a very – like type of pizza meal. But I think when you look at a Chicago style dish, it's just like a masterpiece, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's more calories. I think as a, Oh as yeah, a for sure. Like you, you need that, the, the calorie bump there. Yeah. Yeah. It'll give you everything you need. You can get all your vegetables, meat, all that in one, in one slice. <laughs> well, just, I'm, I'm going to go back to your second answer here regarding um, your how well you are known um, relative to how well, in my opinion, you should be known and how well you're regarded by every single runner I'm aware of. I mean, again, you're the runner's runner. It's just the, the general, the casual public might not have heard your name, which, you know, I'm, I'm on a mini campaign here to correct right now. But just to <laughs> stay with this, this little food thing for a minute, that is one of your interests is cooking and cuisine, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so besides Chicago-style pizza, I mean, do you go ethnic, international? What, where do you trend on, on this? Man, um, everything. You know, I like to play with some Szechuan dishes. I love Japanese food. Um, I love Italian food. Um, I mean, those would probably be my, my top three right there. You know, the, so those, Szechuan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> I think most Americans don't realize that they would love that type of food just because, you know, a lot of it is sweet. You can get like the sweet and savory blends and, um, sometimes not the healthiest thing, but, uh, definitely if you have an itch or, or, you know, there's something that you are really, you know, really thirsting for a flavor or taste, you know, that's definitely one area of food, you know, Szechuan food can definitely fix that. Or even, even Korean food. I've started to get into Korean food, um, you know, the last few years and big fan of that too. Korean food is really good. Well, the whole Korean culture is making a major comeback in the United States. Yeah. I'm not sure how this happened, but music, the whole Korean culture is going mm-hmm. strong right now. TV. But Sichuan, do you prepare this? You're buying out because Sichuan has a particular pepper. You know, there's a, a pepper used in the Sichuan style that is unique to Sichuan. And Sichuan, by the way, means five rivers in Mandarin. And so oh, never knew they, that. Yes. And so the origin origination of a lot of the major rivers in the entire Asian subcontinent is in Sichuan. So if you kind of look at a map, these giant rivers like the Yellow River, the Mekong, this is where they start from. But they have this pepper that's not hot. It's piquant. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Yes. I know exactly south of the border, about. we know the chiles. I, of course, I like chiles too. But the Sichuan oh, pepper yeah. is like piquant. It has this drying effect and it's particular to that part of the world, I think. It's seco, seco, dry. There you dry go. Pepper. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll have to get together on this sometime. And hey, I grow a lot of peppers, Buzz. So I can, uh, I can definitely wake up your tongue for you. I got some stuff <laughs> that'll definitely wake up everything in your body. <laughs> all right. I didn't know you. So you, you grow your own peppers. Yeah, yeah. I like to. I'm, I'm a connoisseur, man. I love peppers from all over the world. I even try to smuggle a couple seeds from other countries sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't work out so well but um yeah i love growing peppers man they're fun the customs doesn't take kindly to that no they do not they do not Mm, i actually wow joe this is i still want to get back to this other running related topic here but i'm you've got me going on this right (laughs) 
I once smuggled in some Peruvian papas, the original potato from Lake Titicaca, and I grew them out for a number of years before I moved, and then I lost the uh, strain. Oh, man. I know it. I know it. So That's awesome. Yeah, well... We we better we better return to your answer that you gave before TSA gets a hold of this podcast and we'll <laughs> get get a, end up behind bars, man. That's right. Good point. <laughs> thank you for the thank you for the advice there. But I have quoted you literally on this podcast probably two or three times before, and this relates to your answer regarding social media. Mm-hmm. We were sitting at the Gonzo Inn a number of years ago during the Moab Trail Marathon. And uh, we were talking about the same topic. And you said something to me that I never forgot, and hopefully other people won't either since I've repeated you. I'm going to have to paraphrase, but tell me if tell me if I have this correct. I hope I do. You said there's two ways, two general ways to build a running career. One is through social media and talking about yourself a lot. And two is by winning races. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say did, that's still true. And you did the second. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at my age, right, social media wasn't a big part of, uh, of our culture or it wasn't even a big part of the sport, really, when I came in. Um, so there's kind of that disconnect, right? Um, and also, secondly... In my household coming up, talking about yourself was very frowned upon. Talking about yourself in the community was frowned upon. You couldn't be out at the court talking about, oh, man, I'm the nicest on the court. You know, you can't guard me. My three's better than all you. You can't be that guy because then everybody is coming for you or you might get smacked. You know, like it's, it's it was a different world back then. But um, so I think that's why also I value, you know, work. I'm about that work and, you know, putting in the work. And I know that's something that can never be devalued, right? If I post a picture it can, uh, and I'm doing something that maybe is trending right now, it can be valuable today. In three months' time, people might say, oh, that was whack. And, you know, like, you know, what do you stand for? You know, basically, it, it can be devalued. But if I got – if I won a championship, you can never devalue that. Like, I won that race. You know, you can t- you can't you can say what you want about that race, but I won the race, or I'm you know I did well in that race. I ran this time, I was competitive. You can't devalue that, and that's something you can always be proud of. You know, at the end of your career, is that okay? I was competitive. I did something. I accomplished something. Um, yeah, you know, and I, th- I look at the guys who uh, inspired me when I was coming up. They were not talkers. They were not. Hey, look at me. They. You saw them, they put in the work silently and they handled business um, when it was time to compete. Uh, my father was one of those guys, right? <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't know that my father was like such a good basketball player. My dad was really good. He just, you know, he made poor choices as a young man and he ended up going into the military. But in my eyes, my father could have been an NBA star. It's just he made poor choices in, in his youth. And um, you don't see nobody, you know, you know, never saw my dad bragging about himself. Or, um, you know, telling people he was this or that. He just did the work. You, you know, he wasn't bra- He wasn't a braggart. And, you know, nice. he was the guy that I looked up to. My dad was my hero. He was my, um, my, one of my, my biggest influence. Not, not one. He was my biggest influence uh, in, in terms of athletics and, and learning work ethic and drive. He just did it. He put in the work and, you know, he got busy when it was time I remember even when he was older and, and I, you know, my youth was starting to help me surpass him and I was taller than him. And, you know, I was getting, I was faster than him. He was still competitive even in, in, in his forties. And it was like, man, I was impressed. Cause I was like, you know, when I get in my forties, I think my son's probably going to be spanking me because he's already pretty big kid. I don't think I'll be as competitive <laughs> as my dad was <laughs> with me. <laughs> Well, you're 37 now, married with two kids. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. You put in the work. Your father was your biggest inspiration for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate what you said about social media. Like you say, you get 10,000 likes, 
20, I mean, 100,000 likes if you're a pop star. But then next week, it's done. It's gone. It doesn't mean anything. And people well, can unlike it. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's just, I don't find any value in it. Or there's value in it. Okay, don't. I'm not stupid. I understand it from a business perspective, but in terms of if we're comparing it to um, results from competition and performance, there's no there's no comparison. Right. No, there's not. In fact, I'll invite everyone here to look on Wikipedia, where again your list goes on forever. In the written show notes, I'll provide links to this. Because we well, could have just them go talk. to my site. My I have a, a site where I have my up to date um, accolades because I don't I don't know where, where Wikipedia like who manages Wikipedia pages, but you know a lot of times that stuff is outdated and sometimes it's probably wrong. I think I don't even know if you have to verify the information you put on there. I know in college we weren't allowed to use Wikipedia at all, so I'd imagine mm. it's because there's not a lot of verifiable data on there. Good point. Yeah. Wikipedia cuts off at 2018. Well, since okay. then you've done you know a zillion things. So yes, your uh, page will be in the written show notes for sure. Okay. And so people could peruse six pages of <laughs> the races you've, you've won. Uh, again, it's, it's insanely, it's just incredibly impressive, Joe, but coming back to that, I, I like that. Uh, social media is is driving a lot now. And in the past year or two, we've seen the dark side of it. We've seen for young people in particular, there's a, we look at me, but then if you're not on the upside of that, it's like, ooh, I don't count. I don't matter. Everyone else is having more fun than me. And there, there can be, a, it can lead to a dark place for many young people. And we've seen it politically too. Mm-hmm. as we hope social media would unite us by enabling us to communicate very well, but instead, to a certain degree, enables people to stick to their own tribe. And so they only hear what is being, the algorithm is feeding them. Like you say, they don't right. get a chance to get other people's point of view. Right. So it's right. been, uh, hmm, it's a mix, shall we say. Right. But you winning a race is clear. Yeah. It's, it lasts forever. So thank you for verifying my quote. I, pre- I appreciate that, Joe. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's switch to, I think you can do both though, too. I mean, just to, to, to add on that, like there are some athletes who are, um, they're kind of, you know, champions in both ways, right? They, they, they have the social media side and they also, have their performances to kind of back up uh, that popularity. Right. Right. Yeah. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. That's, that's a key no. thing to say. No, no nothing no. inherently wrong with almost anything. You got to pick your own path. Just, you got to pick what, what, what works for you, what you like doing. Right. Well, you obviously like to run. You obviously like to train. So after going through all these accolades, now I'm going to ask How? Here's a big open question, Joe. You've been, you're 37 years old. You've been winning almost everything you've entered for you know a decade. How? Man, just, I think that the biggest thing is just being smart, right? Like not letting my ego take over, um, you know, my, my vision of, of my training and what I want to do with the season. I think, you know, earlier in my career, there were times where, um, your eyes were bigger than your legs could handle. And, and so you wanted to do workouts and do things and training that would kind of leave you hurt or, or overwork. And, uh, I realized, right. You have to take pride out of that plan and that process. And you really have to be willing to adapt your training, even though it may not be, uh, what you feel will get you where you've always been. You might not have as much faith in it, but, uh, coming to the line healthy is is definitely better than coming to the line hurt and really fit. Um, so you know, just I've had to learn how to to let pride go and, and and really be more humble with my approach with training. And sometimes you know, there's workouts that I can't do, and 
Um, you just have to let go of that idea that, oh, I need to run this and, you know, I need to be fast and I need to do this and this and that. It's like sometimes you have to adapt to where you are in the moment. And that's something that I've been able to do, you know, definitely at least the last decade of my career. And um, it's allowed me to have some success, I think, long term. Hmm. Interesting. I appreciate that. So in terms of specifics, can you can you shoot us some numbers? For example, do you have a miles per week that you tend to do things of that nature? Um, it, it, it varies. It depends on what I'm racing and what I'm getting ready for. But, um, you know, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. Um, I just, I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not one of those people who are like focused on the numbers like that. Like I probably, I couldn't give you an exact number. Wow. I like that. That's telling right there, isn't it? So one could generalize and say, you know yourself, know your body, you have a lot of experience. And so you've learned to do what needs to be done. And you feel that out rather than keeping this super accurate training log. I got to do X, Y, Z on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yeah, I would, I'd agree. I think that's, that's a good explanation. Hmm. Hmm. One does notice you're not on Strava. I do not think. No, I am. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the only way you can um, verify it. Well, I guess there's other apps too. You just need a GPX file, but I'll use Strava to um, verify like G uh, FKTs and stuff like that. Right. Right. Okay. So just to, just to wrap up that your training tips. And I, I again, I appreciate the one is, um, being smart, okay, and just trying to add a little touch to that as to what does being smart look like. And our listeners want to know you've you've had a lot of success here. So do you do like hill intervals, or you just go run hilly routes, things like that? I mean, I do a little bit of everything, but in terms of adapting to where you are, right? Um, there are some people who they have a schedule and they say, "Oh, I'm supposed to run ten miles today." you know, on this trail and maybe you're not ready for that. So you can maybe just do four today. Some people can't let go of the idea that, Oh, I put down 10 and I got to do it. I've always done 10 and they, and they feel like oh, I got to do it. And so they go out and maybe they hurt themselves because they're following a schedule that they're not ready for in that moment in present fitness. And so, you know, that's a pillar in my training is, you know, you have to do what you're ready for in the moment and you have to be honest with yourself. There's a lot of people who, if you talk to them about just the sport in general, a lot of people you come across, they're not realistic. They have these goals that just don't make sense for them. Um, and, and so their training definitely doesn't make sense for them. It might, might make sense for somebody who's like five minutes faster than them, but not for them. And, uh, you know, for me, I always, I'm my biggest critic. You know, I always say that, uh, there's very little you could say about me or my career uh, that would hurt my feelings because I probably said far worse about myself. Um, and so, you know, there's times where I'm like, look, you're not in shape. You, who are you kidding? We're not doing that. You know, let's, let's stick to this a little bit shorter today, or let's, let's, let's tone down the effort. Um, you know, let's make sure we're healthy. Let's get in shape so that we can do the work that we want to do later. Gotcha. Well, you did three FKTs this year, all on 14ers in Colorado, here on Albert Highest in Colorado and Chavano. Did you do um, like interval training for this, like hill intervals, or did you just practice running uphill? I mean, what did it look like to get acclimated to do 14ers? Or did you just say, hey, I'm fit enough, I don't need to be acclimated in particular? Um, it, well, I, I probably should have tried to get acclimated. I, I wasn't as focused on, um, altitude racing this year. I just happened to be out there training. And so, I, you know, there's a little fun 14ers to go and do or 14ers that kind of mimicked something that I wanted to do later uh, in the season. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's better to come in acclimated, especially for those kind of races, because definitely, you know, you can get altitude sick real quick playing around on 14ers. Um, and, you know, I was born at sea level, so, you know, I'm not going to feel the greatest at, at 14,000 feet in general. But, um, yeah, I was just u- mostly using those as tempos and, 
um, in preparation, just trying to get in shape. I had a lot of a long layoff this year, so um, you know I, I needed a lot of work, a lot of tempo work, a lot of uh, aerobic work, and um, you know, 14ers were one of the ways I did that. And I did some other mountains too that um, you know I didn't go for FKTs up there, but we're just putting in work and trying to get in shape. Nice. Now, last year you did the Boulder Skyline Traverse because that mm-hmm. during the pandemic year, that oddly was a qualifier for the Golden Trail Series. Yeah. And FKT route became an official qualifier. And so you came up to Boulder and laid down a pretty fast time on that. But that was mm-hmm. kind of interesting because you weren't familiar with the course. So you kind of, you had a few people out there say, hey, you know, go that way. Yeah. I, well, I got, so... Uh, maybe a couple days before that, I went. Matt Daniels showed me how to get to South Boulder Peak, and he showed me kind of like where the start was. Um, so I knew how to get to South Boulder Peak. Uh, I did, and then I kind of—it's pretty self-explanatory how to get to the next peak because there's kind of like a ridge line there. Um, so I—I I actually reached out to Sage um, just because I knew. You know, he was in town. I knew he wasn't overseas or racing at the moment. And and uh, and I was like, man, can you get me to Flagstaff? Because I really don't understand how to get there from Bear Creek. And he went partway there with me and he kind of and he started slowing down and just kind of giving me directions like, hey, you're going to get here. You're going to make a left. You're going to make a right and then come back. And I was like, OK. And so, <laughs> um, you know, and then he met me on like the other side of it. Uh, I don't know, I guess. I don't know if that was called Flagstaff. There was one, there was like kind of a, you're on a ridge line for a while and you kind of go up this one little peak, really small, and then you come back down it. And then I think you made a left or something. Anyway, he met me again and took me like another probably mile or two miles to, um, uh, what's that last peak called? Uh, I think it probably is Flagstaff, isn't it? No, the last one is something else. Oh, Sanitas. Yes. Sanitas. Yes. He took me to the bottom of that. And uh-huh. so, yeah, he, he kind of took me through that area where you, you cross a street and you make a left here and a right there. So there was kind of a section after Flagstaff where definitely I wouldn't have known where I, how to, to do all of that stuff. So I was really thankful that Sage had the time um, to, to come out and join me. So it was really cool. And just to kind of link up with him, I hadn't seen Sage in a while, and he's one of those guys in the sport I've always respected, and so cool guy to kind of catch up with and chop it up with. And so, yeah, man, we had a good time out there. <laughs> yeah, well, you laid down a fast time, which I, I think still stands. Probably will stand for a little while. Yeah. Uh, and we, we spoke a few years ago about FKTs because you, as an ascent, would you say, come to think of it, it occurred to me you were something of an ascent specialist. I mean, you can you can get it done on the round trip, but you're really hard to beat on the pure ascent, like at Mount Washington, right? Yeah. You've got how many times under an hour? I mean, under an hour is rarefied company. I think you've done it three times under one hour. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I've done two times in the 58. And I think two times in 59 and then one time over this last year with the weather was over an hour for sure. Yeah. Four times under one hour. That's a rarefied company. So would you say you're best on the uphill? Uh, I don't know. I think it's just something I I probably like uphill running more. Um, I like to finish on a peak. I don't know. And I think uphill running is all about um, fitness you know, it's not so much about like just risk or if you're not afraid to fall, you know, it's really about fitness and I, and I value fitness. You know, I come from the track cross country road world. So, uh, fitness is kind of the whole idea, the whole point of running. Right. Interesting. Well, staying with that for a second, because obviously you've raced internationally, you mentioned mm-hmm. risk. It's a little different in the Alps, isn't it? I mean, here we call it trail running. There they call it mountain running. And so when they get to the top, they're going to point it down. Those guys, 
they're going to take some risks. So if you notice the difference between racing stateside and racing, particularly in the Alps, in terms of that downhill aggressiveness? Not at all. Um, I think that's media, again, uh, being Eurocentric. Um, America has America has mountain running, too. We have tough races here. Uh, their athletes are really no, no better than our athletes. It's just that in America, there's a lot of hybrid athletes. There's a lot of money to chase in different types of running. And so we, our athletes are not focused on, you know, just the super technical, uh, steep mountain racing all the time. There's, you know, I think to make a living in the sport in the U S you do need to be able to compete in kind of the faster trail races and also the steep stuff as well. And whereas in Europe, you can just kind of specialize in the technical steep stuff and, and you'll do just fine. Cause there's plenty of races over there for that. And there's not a lot of like the faster type stuff over there. Good answer. That's interesting. So for example, we noticed this is an ultra race and mm-hmm. ultra to do Mont Blanc UTMB. The American ladies have always done extremely well while the American men, mm, not so much. Mm-hmm. You say that's not Everyone's a good athlete, just they get a chance to focus on that style while we tend to do a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, you look at guys like Jim, he's he's got the ability to do things that a lot of those guys at UTMB cannot do. And so he's able to chase other things. And so you might miss it here and there because you're good at other things. And it's the same thing with, I think, most um athletes in the u.s right it's such a big country there's so much versatility here it's it's a difficult place to to make money and be successful as a professional trail guy here because um there are trail races where it's almost cross-country-esque and maybe you're the kind of guy who's good at say mount washington so you know something cross-country-esque might not be in your wheelhouse and but you're going to still go out there and compete and you know you might get scalped a lot more being in the U S because it's so competitive across the board. And when you talk about, you know, there doesn't have to be very much prize money on the table for a big field of guys that show up. Whereas, you know, I've gone to races in Europe where, and even if you look at some of the the results in Europe, there will be, you know, some money there, but the, the field is not very deep at all in reality, but there'll be a lot of guys who are famous on social media, maybe there. And so people get this idea that, Oh, it's super competitive, but it's like, in reality, what have they done that, would warrant you to say that have they done anything on a world stage or, or is it just that they presented things to you in a way that make them look like they're great on social media? You know, I think a lot of people, if you're not in the sport and you're not really paying attention to it, there's a lot of things that um, kind of get almost like a magic trick, right? Kind of get flashed before your eyes and you just fall for it. And so, <laughs> and, and, and that's the, I think that's where the big misconception comes when people talk about, they, they look, they refer to Europe as having all this, this real mountains and things like this in the Alps. And it's like, well, we have the same things here. It's just, you know, we don't have, um, maybe as the, the same number of races, we don't maybe have the same, uh, amount of media attention on our races here, but we got some crazy terrain here as well. And, and we got really good runners. I mean, you're talking about downhill. I mean, look at, look at max. I mean, very few guys on that course we ran in, in Oregon, very few guys are going to beat Max on that. I, I don't care where they come from in the world. Uh, there's very few guys that would beat Andy Wacker on something like that in the world. Um, but is is Euro is European uh, media sources from the trail running world going to focus on that? Of course not. They don't care about what's going on in the U.S. We always care about what's going on over there because we go over there and they don't come over here as much. Boom. Wow. Thanks for spelling it out. I like that, Joe. Indeed, at the uh, U.S. ATF Mountain Range Championships in Mount Hood that you just mentioned, only one person did beat Max King. You. And I think Max passed six people on the descent. And Max is 41 years old. So he yeah. got it done on the descent, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He got busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are uh, counting down the... Uh, the mountain running championships here. So two weeks ago we had um, 
Joe Demore, third place finisher on this podcast. And we're recording this on October 21. But tomorrow on the 22nd, we release Max King, number two. And so you're, we're counting down three, two, one. <laughs> so it's, we're getting everyone's perspective. And I appreciate you just mentioning this. I like that, Joe. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we got it here. We got the mountains here. But it's just the coverage. It's the media. And it's their specialization. Right. Well, we're, well, of course, you mentioned doing a lot of different things. Max is the epitome of that. The guy was the world 100K right. champion, which, which is run on flat pavement. And but, uh, of but course, go, going back, though, I didn't want you to leave the point. Um, I don't mean to cut you off, but a lot of the problem, too, is right. We focus on their races all the time, but they don't ever talk about what's going on over here. Like whenever I'm in Europe, Whenever I'm over there for a few weeks, I don't hear about anything over here from the from the media sources over there. It's like they don't care about what's going on over here. But we, our major sources in the U.S., like a lot of our major channels, they'll write full articles on what's going on over there. And there might not even be any Americans in the race. And it's like we give them so much attention. We don't even focus on our country as much as we focus on theirs. And, you know, I get it. It's, it's entertaining, right? Like if there's a lot of media attention on a race in Europe, everyone feels the need to kind of uh, get that clout and get the exposure on their channel. So they want to cover it, but they're doing a disservice to the culture of mountain running in our country. Um, you make it seem like we don't have real races or we don't have real mountain runners here. And uh, it's sad because, you know, I think it's, it's very misleading. You know, you look at results and, um, America does quite well at the classic distance. Wow. World championship. So, well, America in partially in the person of Joe Gray, but other people as well, <laughs> particularly in the, in the female side, uh, yeah. both. Yeah, yeah. That's very, very insightful, Joe. I appreciate that. Good job. What about, uh, and speaking of which, of course, you mentioned, yeah, we have the races here. You just won Broken Arrow, the Sky Race in Lake Tahoe. Very steep, very technical. So that's a good example of what you were referring to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a fun race. It's a good race and technical. You know, we got we got the mountains here, too. Yeah, we definitely got the mountains here, too. Okay. Hmm. And, of course, the Bar Trail. You've done the Pikes Peak Ascent many times. Mm -hmm. Um. I think the Bar Trail is one of the probably one of the best trails, mountain trails in the world. There's nothing like it in Europe. If you want to go anywhere near that elevation in Europe, you're not on any trail. No trail goes close to that elevation anywhere in Europe. You're you're on glaciers, you're off trail, et cetera, et cetera. So Pikes yeah. Peak via the Bar Trail is almost unique in the world. Yeah, yeah, but even even still, like uh, Mexico has stuff. You know, I think we don't focus on what's going on in Mexico enough, right? Mexico has stuff very similar to Bar Trail, and you'll be running at sixteen thousand feet. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, their media isn't uh, doesn't get as much attention. Their races don't get as much attention, and and there might be the the language barrier, right? If you don't speak Spanish, maybe you don't know how to look for. Um, information what's going on in the mexican trail and mountain running world but yeah there's some crazy stuff down there too there's crazy stuff in asia also like in japan i mean you go up fuji and you know you can run was it like 12 12 13 000 on you're on a trail for most of that some cool right. stuff over there yeah, yeah around the world an annual annual race at mount fuji mm -hmm. yeah and you're probably sixteen thousand feet in mexico you're probably referring to popo no isa I isa siwal Oh, that one. There's the mm -hmm. three big volcanoes outside of Mexico. Yeah, I did that. Ciudad. Nice. I did that race yeah. one year, and I was, I couldn't breathe, man, but it was a, it was an awesome race, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Popo, Itza, and Orizaba. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good call out there, Joe. No running on Popo, though. Why not? They won't let you. You're not supposed to go over there because it was still smoking. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you can't. You're not hmm. supposed to be on Popo. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it's, yeah, there's not a blade of grass growing there. It uh -huh. is a volcano. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it's pretty nerve-wracking hmm. being on Ista and looking over and seeing Popo kind of smoldering <laughs> or smoking at the top. <laughs> You're like, oh, man. Right. 
Good call, Joe. I appreciate your experience. Yeah. I have a friend of mine won that Mount Fuji race one time. He said they gave him a trophy that he couldn't pick up. It was too big. He, he couldn't oh, carry man. it. <laughs> Those are the best okay. ones. <laughs> I don't know so, if the camera's on that one, right? Or that one is heavy as hell. <laughs> okay. What's that one from? Uh, Dolomite Man. Oh, yeah, the in, gotcha. like for the mountain, the mountain. No, that's in um, Austria. Oh, across the border. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, speaking of breadth and the national championships, I think you we just touched on that you won the USATF half marathon trail championships in mm-hmm. Wisconsin, Cable, Wisconsin, I think, in September. So are we going to see you at the USATF Marathon Championships in Moab in two weeks? No, no. no I'll be getting ready for uh, an event that's to be announced, I think, pretty, pretty soon. Hopefully. An- another <laughs> event that we don't know about? Uh, I don't know if I can speak on it. That I mean, I could tell you off camera, but I don't, I don't want to say something and and that's maybe not official yet, but um, I think a lot of people know about it or know that it's coming. But um, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to do Moab this year. Hmm. I've had hmm. that's bad luck there. I got lost twice there, and so uh, it's a sour, sour subject for me. Oh, I didn't know that. My apologies. It's a yeah. tough course. It's, it's instead yeah. of something like you know Pikes Peaks at literally the other end of the spectrum, where Bar Trail is fairly non-technical, just has this massive vert and massive mm-hmm. elevation. While the Moab Trail Marathon course is neither, but it's quite technical with a lot of little punchy ups and downs. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the I love the course, but I think you know. You get lost one time, you're like, okay, I'll go back. You get lost again, and it's like, um, I'm probably not going back there. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So that, that, that 21st national championship is, will have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got me curious about this event that, pardon me, I know nothing about. So should I just uh, stay tuned to see what you might be referring to? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you probably, I would imagine you'll know, knowing you and who you are in the sport, you'll probably know before most people in the next few days, I would imagine. Okay. Well, we'll I wouldn't be surprised if you know before Monday, to be honest. Okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. I appreciate that, Joe. And... I look forward to seeing you in person somewhere, sometime. So next time you're up in Boulder, let me know. Only if and, you're going to uh, make that cherry that cherry whiskey that you made last time I saw you. <laughs> oh, you remember that? <laughs> I do, man. I like cherries and I like whiskey, so that was a very nice, very nice one. <laughs> yeah. Well, the oak cast conditioning really helps things out a lot. If you if you if you condition it for a couple of months in an oak cask. The cocktails come out a little bit better. Didn't know that, so I need to I need to up my game. <laughs> Your game's pretty high right now, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time. It's so good to talk with you again. Yeah, it's always good, man. It's my pleasure. Like I've always had a lot of respect for you. Um, I always tell people, you know, Buzz is a guy I'm always going to love, have love for because you are one of the guys who uh, were – a big part of the reason that I got um, sponsorship with Ultimate Direction, and it's one of my longest-running sponsors. It's, it's been, you know, it's still a product that I really love, and um, you know, you were vital to that process. So, you know, I appreciate you for that. Thanks very much, Joe, and we look forward to staying in touch. Definitely.